0: Hi everybody and welcome back to B2B Nav. Um, after some time out and various Zoom calls and Teams calls, it's good to be back in the office with Ollie with an episode we can uh, produce in person. Um, so um, this, uh, well week's episode, this episode is going to be based on um, our most recent edition of The Knowledge. Um, for everybody, anybody that's not familiar with that, The Knowledge is our Um, online, ungated publication, helping our customers, contacts and prospects navigate the ever-evolving B2B marketing landscape. And this month's edition is all around the future of web, as I would call it. So um, Ollie, as our head of uh, digital and tech, is well-placed to offer clients um, and anyone out there any relevant advice on this. So I guess... The evolution of web and the evolution of web platforms is a, a big topic of conversation at the minute for mm-hmm. many for many clients and many people we're working with. And in one, of the, one of the kind of um, chapters within the knowledge this month is that uh, things are different now and it's time to kind of evolve that platform further. Do you yep. want to elaborate on that as kind of an outline comment?
1: <coughs> yeah, so I think uh, we actually kind of teed this up. I can't remember how many episodes back, but yeah. we talked about kind of white papers and, and their place in B2B and the direction they were going. And I think within that, if I remember correctly, we kind of expressed that, white papers are great and they have their place but it's it's quite old school Uh so we're looking at what what future there is in terms of kind of putting content out there that's interesting and engaging and I think we all I think if we admit to ourselves we all have pretty poor attention spans these days so it's trying to position content in a way that really engages the user keeping it short keeping it snappy keeping it engaging and flowing and moving and Uh surprising with something new and that's what we've looked to to deliver with the latest version of the knowledge, which will be coming soon. But in terms of that, the website is the stand at the minute. So it's interesting
0: when we're looking at this, so every business has a website, mm-hmm. pretty much. Yep. Um, and from your experience, is that something that once it's built, they continue to invest
1: and develop? Or is it quite static for a period of time? What's your take on that kind of thing? I mean, I guess it depends very much on the company, but I think for, for in the B2B space, certainly we see most of the time. Then that's a very static thing. Mm-hmm. You've developed it. Often you've not really consulted users I had uh, users involved or customers involved in the process of designing and building that. Mm-hmm. You launch it and it stays like that for an awfully long period of time. And you might build the odd extra template here and there as you go throughout that journey. Yeah. But it's rare that companies are really looking at that and looking at how well it's working and looking at how to evolve it. So no, I think at the moment it's, it's probably too much on the static side. And do you think that's because
0: in the past it was quite a central aspect of the marketing mix? So it was kind of let's drive traffic to the website, drive traffic to the website. Whereas now with the introduction of social channels, with the introduction of different avenues and that kind of user journey, mm-hmm. it's not all orientated where everything points towards that website. And what, what, what's your take on that as like a statement?
1: Yeah. Um, Yes, you've got a point which uh, it's not necessarily the central piece these days in that there are social pages where people can go to and can be a bit more of that hub. So if you're putting content out there, for example, somebody might not visit your blog anymore to uh, to uh, explore your content. They might be getting all that. from from a social media point of view. Mm -hmm. But I still think the website plays a very central role in a lot of your activity. It's no longer a linear journey of somebody finds out about you, they go to your website, they find out a bit more, and then they contact you. Obviously, as we know, the journey's far more complicated than that these days. There's a lot of steps involved, there's a lot going backwards and forwards, going between your social channels and your website going between competitors and then back to your website doing a lot of comparison but I think your websites still very central mm-hmm. I just think I think the main trend for me is all around user experience and customer experience and realizing that delivering a good customer experience is what people expect these days yep. largely from the trends that we're seeing in, in b2c um, that delivering a good customer experience can be a, a major differentiator when it comes to making a buying decision so I think we're finally catching up to that and creating web experiences that, that deliver on that promise.
0: And in terms of that buyer journey and that kind of linear experience, because I guess what, what I would term old or aged website designs, whether it's based on a template or whatever, but followed the key principles of here's who we are, here's about us, here's our work, here's our team, contact us, hmm. um, which I think are pretty generic on most people's websites, regardless of the company size. Mm-hmm. Um, Um, Yes, they may have changed style and presentation and so on over the years, but that introduction of more this non-linear selling, non-linear sales process these days, and the the modern B2B buyers' experience of working their way through that journey, is that what's forcing these considerations now to not only take websites to the next level, but potentially completely overhaul them in the way they're designed and the way that user experience flows? Yeah, I
1: think we've seen a lot of um, snets out there which uh, are all about how... um, the, the buyer journey's not getting sh- shorter. It's probably actually longer than it's been. It's just that we don't see a lot of it because it's where the buyers are doing all their research. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing a lot more of that uh, kind of content information being loaded onto the website, which obviously completely changes the journey, completely changes what you need to be communicating on your, on your website. Before it was, I'd say if we go back to, let's say 20 years ago, your website was focusing very much on who you are, what you do, get in touch if you want to know more. Yeah. Whereas these days they've had to include more because now it's much more about selling yourself and explaining your your, um, your benefits to the to the, to your buyer instead of just you know explaining your you know your particular offering to them to the point where you're often educating and, and being that informative person to somebody that doesn't necessarily they're not necessarily looking for a solution at this stage they're looking more for for information uh, gathering or yeah, whatever it may information be. gathering that they're looking at the challenges that they're having rather than you know searching for solution, which is you know resulted in a lot more content a lot more information and they completely changed by a journey I suppose and in terms of that approach to content do you believe in
0: because I guess the, the old the old style websites would have case studies mm-hmm. on there and they would bang up three or four case studies to show what, who, who they are and what they're doing whereas if you're looking to provide that nonlinear experience and let people go and find their own type of content we're seeing the more why I would term experimental websites at the minute and we've talked to it on previous podcasts around click funnels and trying yeah. to drive content of relevance to the individual and almost um, you know choose your own adventure style stories It's just getting Coming the user to the
1: information they're looking for which ties back to the, the non-linear selling point which is obviously if we think about you know Again, how you communicate the passage, your message in the past. It would be here's here's our five stages of the things that we want to tell you about, and, mm-hmm. and we believe you'll work your th- way through those stages. And probably in the past we did, because that's kind of what buyers were more accustomed to. Mm-hmm. These days there so is that I know what I want, and I want it now. Yeah. <laughs> I want it on demand. I yeah. want it. I want to be able to find exactly what I, I want. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners and you as well can probably attest to the fact that if you're if you're trying to buy something and they don't have. Uh, depending on what it is, they don't have the information you want on the website or they don't have the video that that you want to see on the website then it's really hard to even consider continuing that process because there's going to be competitors out there that are telling you what you want to know and you can kind of do that self-qualification that you can't do otherwise
0: but is that where, where, I'm trying to jump around too much here but is that where the social aspects then come into play because even before we started the podcast earlier I was speaking to Jim hi Jim over there, one of our one of our new employees, um, new members of the team, and we were talking around if you're offered a job somewhere or if you're looking to find information, do you go website first or do you go social first? Mm. And this is kind of dependent on maybe generations and experience and age and all that kind of thing. I'd I'd personally still probably go website first, but then the more and more people I'm speaking to are saying they're more socially driven. Mm. So, in terms of the balance of power at the minute, in your seat, might put you on the spot too much. Would you say? Website should still be the central piece that's addressed first in that kind of digital journey and user experience?
1: I guess it depends on, on the situation, but I'd say for, from my perspective, if we're thinking about buyer journey, then mm-hmm. probably yes. Yeah. Certainly in a, in a B2B context, I think when you're looking at it from a recruitment point of view, it's a bit different because a website's usually going to be giving you the sell, mm-hmm. the sales message, whereas social media, obviously the message on social social media is still um, edited and, and you know a flavor of, of a company but i think you're getting a little bit more of a behind the scenes glimpse mm-hmm. versus what you'll see on the website so there's, a, there's a bit of chicken and egg as well isn't
0: there? in terms of i guess the cycle of development of the websites and the social that mm-hmm. i'm thinking of some clients that we work with here where the social is arguably ahead of the website yeah it's slightly more uh current of the time yeah. and maybe uh, a bit fresher as well whereas the website's a bit more archaic and maybe hasn't been revisited for a few years, yeah. so you can end up delivering a slightly different brand experience and proposition of visual identity socially, yeah. uh, and amplifying that out, and then people are sent to the website, driving traffic to the website, which is suddenly quite a disparate kind of experience of the customer's yeah. feeling there. Okay. In terms of the, the some stats and the knowledge that I'm looking at here, in terms of you know 84% be, believe that a functional website still is an essential part to drive business, but of those people surveyed, 30% of B2B business leaders owned up to delivering a poor digital experience. Quite funny, isn't it? <laughs> it is when you read it in that kind of combination of the way I've just looked at it there on the page. But in terms of that poor digital experience, I think we do, we do find quite often a bit of lethargy, whether it's time, budget, or whatever the limiting factors are. Um, are, there, are there any quick wins website-wise at the minute that people can think about even in just embracing or learning more about as websites are continuing to evolve?
1: um it's hard to say because a quick win is going to be very personal down to that business and what assets they have available and what their what their journey is like what platform they're set up on but i think there's there's quite a lot that can be done whether that's just you know doing minor uh, layout changes to your site can have a drastic impact mm-hmm. on on things like your website conversion rate if we want to think about a bit more of a a traditional kind of CRO or conversion rate optimization approach mm-hmm. and then if you want to go a bit further into it and deliver a, a greater customer experience or a more modern customer experience then there's avenues you can go down there whether that's including more um, aspects like animation or even going into uh, into things like 3D if you've got physical products that you want to be able to show off virtually there's mm-hmm. quite a lot that can that can be done to kind of elevate your, your current uh, platforms. Okay
0: and then Turning our attention slightly towards e-commerce, mm-hmm. in the sense of, I think we've seen obviously the rapid um, digital transformation or acceleration of digitalisation uh, across the globe since yeah. the, since the pandemic hit. Um, I saw some stat though. I think it was something. What was it? Eight four years in eight weeks or something like that. It progressed or something. Something to that effect, wasn't <laughs> it? In terms of with the impact that that had had overnight. And with people maybe not being able to gather face-to-face as much, meet um, and, and, and kind of sign deals or do business as much as they used to do in a physical manner. Um obviously digital's going to have a big play in that. But then e-commerce for me comes, comes to the, the forefront of the mind of how can you sell or engage your products even, even quicker through delivering that online experience. Mm-hmm. And particularly with some of the clients we work with in kind of like, if, I suppose in any, in any sector at the minute where you're a middleman. So you take from person A and you ship it to B, or you distribute. Maybe you take mm-hmm. somebody else's products and distribute it to markets that they can't reach. I think there's a nervousness in that certainly that distribution model that the future of distribution or that middleman relationship may move straight to an e-commerce line, mm-hmm. where that where the, the the primary manufacturer or producer chooses to, to market We've their seen products that and in,
1: and in like. some B2C industries. The yeah. One that comes to mind I was actually talking about earlier is mattresses. Where yeah, that, okay. that happens a lot these days. You yeah, bypass yeah. the mattress or you go straight to the manufacturer.
0: Well, you've seen it a lot in you know, I see the consumer side of things but in B2B you can certainly see the, the, the reluctance in B2B I think was that digital, digitization, digitalization point of uh, people weren't willing to invest in it because they thought it would just be as it is. Whereas yeah. I think whether
1: whether the pandemics forced people's hands to consider that side even more I definitely think there's no doubt that there's a challenge when you think about B two B and e commerce. It's not as straightforward because whatever, whatever you're selling is is nearly always going to be far more complex and an involved decision than a, a B two C sale. Yeah. But I think too often we see companies using that as a, a reason not to try. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think there's a lot of ways that you can do it. So we're working with a client at the moment where they rather than having ab B two C kind of open. Uh, e-commerce site where anybody can log on and buy stuff. It's more of a a back-end or a a distributor portal sort of thing so that if you're an existing uh, buyer or distributor, you can just go straight on see stock and order stock. Um, and order it through there so you don't have to um, you don't have to kind of engage with the salesperson each time you don't have to fill in manual orders it's all automated and seamless and that doesn't preclude you from having a relationship with an account manager it's just helping to smooth things along the account manager can still be involved talk you through it help process it follow up but I think too often we're seeing that as a as a barrier where people say like no our product's complicated so we're not going to do. It I think ecological. you hear that
0: a lot, and also in B two B you tend to hear because in B two C obviously there's a there's a set price for an iPad. If you go to Apple, you buy the iPad and there's mm. a set price for that. Whereas in B two B there's quite often well we sell the iPad to Ollie for a thousand and we sell the iPad to Matt for nine hundred. Yeah. Um, how, how do we get around that? And obviously, with these days, with the various client logins and the way things can be designed, it should almost be a non, yeah. con, not a non consideration. Yeah. But if something the pricing is a
1: to... standard, then it's, it's you have either bespoke pricing per per client, or yeah. you have things like banding, so you can slot different clients into different pricing levels. Yeah. Or if it's if it's genuinely a concern that's insurmountable. You don't have to have it as a full e-commerce process. It mm-hmm. can be a, it can be almost a way to submit an order and, and get a quote, but you're still able to do an awful lot of that process, that browsing and the selection yourself without needing to have to go through everything painstakingly on a phone or in a meeting. Yeah, okay. Do you think e-commerce
0: has a serious place in B2B going forward? Do you think we're gonna see an uptake a bit more across our client base, typically? Cause I, I, don't I can't, know think, I can't be... think of many of ours that would at the minute. But
1: I don't think it's gonna be instant. But I think it's definitely gonna get there because I think certainly as as generations go on, as people get more and more used to it, that's just gonna be the standard. And I think, like in many other areas, the companies that don't embrace it are gonna massively lose out. Mm-hmm. I know it's an example that we brought up before, and it's a very extreme example, but if you think about Blockbuster, they didn't yeah. embrace the technological change. They thought people <laughs> will keep coming to them to rent Netflix videos, <laughs> and, and now they're completely gone. And you can easily see that happening in other industries as well, as if you don't move with the times, and somebody else comes along and makes that process easier, people are going to end up migrating to that, pro- uh, to that other company. Yeah, okay. And I guess one of the other areas we touch on within the addition of the knowledge is the
0: importance of content and, and quality content as well, because mm-hmm. um, alongside websites, obviously most people are populating content and driving traffic to a website for somebody to complete some call to action to download something that you're providing. Um, I guess the importance of content throughout that, that website process and on the websites is ever critical um, to that process. When we're thinking about Web, web development and web design with clients. Is content one of the aspects that's kind of being discussed at those early stages, or is it kind of a case of let's build, build it and then worry about what we put in it at a later date?
1: It depends on the client. i I'd say ideally it's something that you should be thinking about ahead of time, because it'll change how you plan and how you build, even what you name things. Yeah. So if you're gonna be doing ongoing content, what is that? Is it just news and press releases? Is it gonna be thought leadership? All of that will change the way you plan and structure something. Mm-hmm. But if we, if we try and move beyond just getting people's details in exchange for content, i.e. just having gated content, um, where we capture details but we know nothing else past that point and moving more towards trying to make sure that people actually read and value the content, mm-hmm. we have to start thinking about how to create a journey that really supports that, which, mm-hmm. tying back to what we were saying at the beginning, is what we're looking to achieve with our new addition of the knowledge.
0: Yeah, okay. And tying into what you said there about delivering that experience, so we hear the word experience an awful lot at the minute in B2B, and uh, it's often often poorly defined or undefined in people's explanations of what they're actually referring to. Mm-hmm. But when we're talking about the experience of somebody on a website, mm-hmm. what's your take on that? What's your overarching kind of explanation of that?
1: Uh, I can sum it up as it's the feeling that you get from using a product or a service, okay. in this case, a website. Yep. So does it leave you feeling positive, or does it not... If, it, if the answer is no, if it's cumbersome if it's frustrating or if it's just dull mm-hmm. then you walk away from that experience with no enhanced feeling or possibly even a worse ex- uh, feeling towards the brand that you're interacting with yep. um, if you can nail that and get it really right yep. then that's something that that person can go and feel ha- happy about, feel positive towards future engagements and depending what it is and if that's appropriate potentially sharing it with other people and getting colleagues involved and things like that mm-hmm. I'm not saying that if you've got a great piece of content that's really unique, that's going to go like wildfire, and everybody's going to share it with everybody. Yep. But in some situations, that will happen if it's if it's you know relevant to
0: people. Well, the other stat and the noise that 88 of users are less likely to return to a website after a bad user experience. I'm surprised it's not higher. Yeah. I was quite surprised that that was only 88 because I think for me personally, my personal life, as they say, if you have that bad bad experience on the web, you probably avoid it like the plague.
1: Yeah. Um, Unless you've got no alternative. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> potentially. Potentially. Okay. Um, and I guess in terms of the, the future of websites, in terms of the direction we're seeing them head in and we've touched on it in one of the previous podcasts around um, the non-linear experience and kind of moving towards what's been notionally termed as Web 3.0 and the future mm-hmm. of web design. Um, have you got any nuggets on that or any kind of
1: insights into the, the general direction of the kind of web, web 3.0 thinkings for the meantime? I think we've already seen some aspects of it coming in. I think we're still very much at early stages. Mm. Uh, I think well, look, some of the popular terms you'll have heard mentioned uh, in recent years, things like AI, I think, uh, are going to be playing a much wider role in, in content and, and web experiences. So for example, as if I remember correctly, as part of Marketo's offering, which mm. is a marketing automation platform, they have something that was termed Content AI, I believe they've renamed uh, it now, but it would basically be surfacing content on your website mm-hmm. um, that would be relevant to users and based on which which pieces of content people were clicking and certain profiles were clicking they'd show more or less of that content to make sure that you know people were more engaged with your site and i think we'll see more of that whereby we're we're surfacing um you know content or information that's relevant to to users on an automatic basis and relying on yeah ai to to make that sort of decision we're seeing the same sort of ai Mm. being used in, in the likes of search engines to help you find the content you're looking for within your voice searches, to help make sure that's giving you the right responses. So I think we'll see uh, more and more of that helping, you know, people navigate to the to the right information. Okay, great. And I think another area that we touched on briefly a little while ago um, was I, th- I think there's a definitely a role for 3D graphics and that kind of thing f- to help bring to life, I guess, more physical things that can't be easily shown within within um, within a virtual environment typically. Mm-hmm. So street maps have obviously we've been doing this for years. I've, I often use it from the point of view if I'm travelling somewhere I don't know, where's the car park? It really just yeah. helps you understand because yeah, yeah. it's easier to understand than looking at a top-down map. But the same goes for, for any of our clients when we're looking at... Um, anything that's kind of more larger equipment, industrial equipment, or physical equipment in general, because you can just look at it, you can spin it around, you can get a different view. I was using it the other day on the Curry's website to look at coffee machines, and being <laughs> able to see different angles of it and understand what was going on there. So I think we'll see more and more of that. And actually yeah. Curry's is a great example for anybody not familiar with Curry's. It's an electronics retailer in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, they have uh, AR AR and VR experiences now from looking at uh, some of their products. Also, they've implemented recently a. Uh, kind of a live video chat where you can have somebody in store walking around oh, and show you different products. I saw that on the adverts, yeah. So obviously I'm, I'm presuming that's in, in partial response to uh, coronavirus and not being able to visit stores, but that technology is gonna be here to stay. That's just making your online experience better, mm-hmm. um, finding different ways to, I guess, bring physical experiences to a virtual world.
0: And I suppose in terms of reservations to people updating and overhauling the websites and bringing it into that kind of more modern era, um, we'd recommend going back to purpose. What's the purpose of the website? What purpose do you want it to serve? Um, is it a lead gen website? Is it more about awareness and where does it fit into that marketing mix and buyer journey? Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of resistance, I guess, from people sometimes to even go near the website because they've either been burnt in the past or had bad experiences or it's taken too long or it's seen as a very costly, costly exercise. Mm-hmm. Is that still the case to this day in terms of if you want to improve or uplift uh, an existing website um, can modifications be
1: made to kind of pull it through or mm-hmm. is sometimes is it best going back to the start and starting afresh I suppose like anything I suppose it, it really does depend there's always the possibility to, to work on an existing site and um, provided it's not everything that needs to change that's probably where we'd we'd recommend starting mm-hmm. certainly if you've had uh, professional developers working on it the first time around yep. there's a good chance that it's been built in a way that can be extended and um, and yeah, that would probably be a good starting point. Mm-hmm. What we normally recommend doing is just carrying out some initial research, get some customers on it. Yeah. Uh, it's quite easy these days due to the advancements in, in you know some of the software as a service platforms. It's quite easy to have uh, screen recording and things like that set up so you can have your customer walk through it, explain what they're doing and all that's recorded so they can talk through, vocalize their experience, use that kind of research mm-hmm. to go back and, and start looking at how you can optimize the experience. And, okay as you say, you don't necessarily have to completely rebuild everything. It can sometimes be quite straightforward minor changes to your existing site that can make it work, start working a lot better. Okay. Particularly if you look at sites like Amazon. I can't tell you the last time Amazon had a major redesign. Mm-hmm. I think it might have been more than five years ago at this point, but they will always be adding new things to it, always yep. tweaking the way it works. The same with things like Facebook, the, most of the changes that they do are small changes that they make on even a day-to-day basis and then yeah. measure how they work, and roll them out to more people and so on. And in terms of that continued optimization, I'm conscious of the time,
0: but I do want to touch on this just briefly. In terms of that continued optimization and improvements that you're making to the websites as you go, mm-hmm. it's important that you've obviously got the tech stack and the knowledge and the insights to enable you to have those informed considerations as you go. So I think you know, a lot of clients when they're in the more entry-level website kind of environment pretty much will have, oh it doesn't really form part of our marketing mix, we don't get any business from the website, we do all ours at exhibitions or whatever mm-hmm. it may be. Whereas for me I always think, well you don't know what you don't know, and you don't know who comes on your website and drifts off, you don't know who you don't remarket. And so. I find
1: it impossible to believe that even if you've started that conversation in person that the mm-hmm. website is still not forming a part of your sales process. If yeah. I'm going to meet somebody at an exhibition and they're going to tell me how great their company is. That's one thing, I'll listen to them, I'll be engaged, but then you'll go away, you'll have a look at their website and mm. understand from from that point of view what offering, um, what their offering's like, how trustworthy you think they are. And You might never talk to them through the website, but you've gone back and checked it and then you'll continue that conversation with the person that you knew.
0: And in terms of to give you, give you that kind of level of information and insight, obviously we can talk about um, different, um, different podcast integration with the tech stack into... Uh, your various CRM systems or marketing automation software. However, the the tracking of that user whilst you've got their attention in that moment when you've got them on the website and where they go and what they look at and how they engage with it from a tech perspective. I know there's various pieces of tech out there that can do that. Have you got any quick wins or recommendations
1: for anybody listening to to sort of think about or learn more about? Yeah, I mean, there's two platforms that spring to mind that if anybody wants to have a a quick look at what people are doing on your website, you can sign up for a lead feeder trial Mm I think you get two weeks free uh, and that can help identify which companies have been on your website. The only caveat I'll say with Lead and any of that type of IP lookup technology at the minute is it is hindered by the fact that a lot of people are working from home, which means that they're not on corporate IP networks, which means that you can't identify which company they work for. Mm but that doesn't mean you'll get no results, just probably less than you would have got had we all been in the workplace. Yep. But unless you plan to wait six months to a year, <laughs> yeah. then you might as well give it a trial now. Might be longer at this The <laughs> other one um, is Hotjar. Again, it's got free trials available. That can help you uh, create click maps and heat maps uh, for certain pages on your website to understand mm-hmm. how people are using it, how people are interacting with it. And also, more interestingly, create video recordings of how people are interacting with certain pages of your website, which really helps you yeah look at it from a qualitative point of view. How's somebody looking at a page? What are they hovering over? What are they clicking on? Where are they getting stopped? And you'll often see like really small details there that could help improve. So for example, you'll see somebody keeps clicking on a headline yeah. uh, that they think will link through to the page, but it doesn't. They have to click the button. So yeah. that's a really simple change of, well, if everybody keeps clicking this headline, let's make the headline clickable. Yeah. And we saw that with uh, BDB's old site. Mm-hmm. We had the form designed in a way that it was very cleanly designed but it wasn't actually apparent on one of the fields where you had to click to start typing your input. And you saw that people, if you watch these videos, they kept clicking in the wrong place. <laughs> and it's so, like, okay, well we're gonna have to change that form design. Well, that's because the perfect example if, of optimization. If, yeah, it, yeah. if one in three people is struggling with that, obviously the, the, they'll get it right eventually, but that's two or three seconds of annoyance. And again, coming back to the customer experience point, we don't want anybody having, ideally, any seconds of annoyance when they're on your site.
0: Okay. Great. Well, thanks very much. I think we'll wrap up there for today. It's good to be back live in the Hive doing the uh, doing the podcast for a change. Feel free to check out the site issue of the knowledge available now for download uh, with complimentary blogs, taking some of the topics out a little bit further as well. Um, and if we can be of any assistance to you with your website or web development or consideration, you know where to find us. Yeah. Thanks very much. See you next week. Thank Cheers. You.